All right, let's see. Number 526 in the hymnal, you might want to use it. This is not one we sing often. Um, it's a wonderful hymn of thanksgiving. It's called Come Ye Thankful People. You probably remember the tune when you hear it. And a quick note to the guys upstairs. It sounds like you may have turned it down, but monitor one is pretty hot in this red mic. I'm not sure. That's why I keep backing off of it. 526, Come Ye Thankful People. <clears throat> come ye thankful people, come raise the song of harvest home. All is safely gathered in Ere the winter storms begin God our Maker doth provide For our wants to be supplied Come to God's own temple Come raise the song of harvest home all the world is God's own field, fruit unto His praise to yield, wheat and tares together sown, unto joy or sorrow grown. First the blade and then the ear, then the full corn shall take his harvest home from his field shall in that day all offenses purge away give his angels charge at last in the fire the tares to cast but the fruitful ears to store in his final harvest home. Gather thou thy people in, free from sorrow, free from sin. There forever purified in thy presence to Good Thanksgiving song, isn't it? Song of Harvest. 378. Now, look, I'm going to tell the title, and you're going to know what you're going to have to do. Stand up for Jesus. So I don't think we can sit down for stand up, stand up for Jesus. <laughs> we're a little lopsided, or we were earlier. There's more people over here. There's a lot of people over here earlier. Did y'all ever hear that congressman before Congress talking about the Isle of Guam? They were talking about putting troops on the Isle of Guam. And he said, well, my concern, he was talking to a military general, my concern that if we've got too many men standing on the island, it'll capsize. I don't know if we need people like that in Congress. But <laughs> you can stand in this building and you can stand on Jesus and Jesus won't capsize. <laughs> stand up for Jesus. 
stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he is Lord indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The trumpet call obey. Forth to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day. Ye that are men now serve him against unknown. Stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you, ye dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. be seated. Did you all have a good Thanksgiving? I hope you did. Isn't it good to, to live in a place where, uh, where we still, even though we've got all this chaos going on, we still as a people can raise our hands to the Lord and thank Him for all that He's done for us in this land. Isn't that good? I thank the Lord for that. All right. Good morning. Welcome all of you here today. Any visitors that we have for the first time, we thank the Lord for you being here today, and we welcome you. We ask that you please be in prayer for David Smith, the husband of Peggy Smith, uh, who's currently in the critical care unit at Williamson Medical Center. Uh, it appears David mistakenly took some of his pain medication while in the hospital, uh, likely mistaking it for something else. Uh, he's presently sedated and intubated, uh, having numerous health problems. Uh, this is extremely hard on his body. Uh, please pray for his healing. Also, be sure and lift up Peggy Smith and the family as they can't visit him right now. Also, for the uh, family of Ben Yates, who passed away with cancer this past week, we ask that you be pleased to lift his family up before the Lord. Uh, continue to lift up Susan Wall as she regains strength from a recent illness. Also, for Charlie Haynes' daughter, Kim, and her daughter, Amanda, who are both ill. Also, for uh, Kathy Gall and her son, Austin, who are both sick. 
as well as for Ed Adamowicz, who is also at home sick. Uh, we want to lift up the Smith family, who are all mildly sick and at home. Also for uh, Judy LaPetri, we ask that you continue to lift her up and the family before the Lord. Uh, also, we want to ask prayers for Stephanie Johnson's husband, who is in the hospice, who is in hospice care. Uh, please pray that the Lord would be pleased to be merciful to him, give strength to his wife and his three children. Also, we want to remember uh, George Bishop uh, as he battles bladder cancer and the shingles virus. Also for Michelle George, who is or will soon be undergoing radiation treatments. Uh, also for, uh, remember, uh, Brother Wallace Haddon before the Lord, as well as Mary. Also for uh, Sue Martin, uh, she continues to struggle from a concussion she received. Also want to pray for healing for uh, Linda Foster's ankle. As uh, her and uh, Brother Foster were doing a little Thanksgiving dance, I think is what happened. And No, <laughs> just joking. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you, you went to kick and missed. That's what happened, yeah. You want to continue to remember Pat Jackson before the Lord also, as well as for Evelyn Caraco's sister Betty in Alabama, also for uh, Bob and Wendy Smith. We want to continue to lift up uh, Carl Perry's brother Bobby, who's being treated for throat cancer. Also, Phoebe Patch, who along with her husband faithfully worships with us via the Internet. Uh, we praise the Lord that her cousin, Sally Friday, is doing well. Uh, she's un finished her uh, chemo regime for ovarian cancer, has now started her maintenance for, for that. Uh, are there any other prayer requests we need to make mention of? Yes, sir, Brother Charlie. Okay, good deal. So Kim and Amanda have recovered, and uh, they're... Doing, doing quite well, so we praise the Lord for that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, if you'd wish to uh, give a gift to the church out on the foyer there, uh, there are two boxes. One of the request slips for any of the uh, sermons that are preached here. We just drop you a slip in there, and we'll get you a copy. Yep, yep. Larry and uh, Becky are doing fine. Uh, her mother's had some mild symptoms. Yeah, she's cleared out now. I talked to Larry this morning. He sounded good. A little aggravated by the whole situation. Can't blame him for that. Oh, yeah. Jim Jack and Jim passed away last Sunday. Okay. Well, Brother Johnson did pass away last Sunday. So we asked that uh, remember that Stephanie Johnson and her her children and that family and his passing. If you'd like to uh, give a gift to the church, there's also a box out there on the foyer is marked as well. Just drop your donations in there. Anything else? No, that's it. All right, Pastor. My old friend down in Georgia, uh, Jimmy Dean, very ill. Uh, we may try to go to Georgia to see him. He's in Albany, Georgia, and he's been stricken with cancer. And I'd like for you to remember Jimmy before the Lord. Make a special effort to try to remember him and uh, pray for him. Well, we hate to make you like jumping jacks, but I want you to stand up one more time. What, hon? 
we were uh, talking, sitting in the pew, trying to compare notes, but uh, I'm glad to see Bob and Julie back. <laughs> glad y'all been in the, warm, the warmth of Miami, and I know you hate that. <laughs> you know, it's okay. But, and the other thing is, is I've got a new friend named Phoebe and Thomas way, what? Phoebe and Thomas are on the internet in New York. He's a playwright. He has had a terrible stroke, and they watch us religiously on TV, on YouTube. And they, I think they've fallen in love with us, and we've fallen in love with them just talking to him on the phone, you know. She's taking care of him and doing a great job, and uh, he's trying to finish his play. So uh, I'm, I'm interested in them, you know, interesting people. <laughs> All right, and I'm interested in them for the gospel's sake. So Phoebe and Thomas, we say hello. All right, guys. I'm so, I'm so glad so Jesus loved me. Let's he sing that. He told me to say that. <laughs> If we can get it up there on the board. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. You got it? There it is. All right, everybody help us out. Y'all can clap. Come on. I'm, I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Singing glory. Let's sing that again. Sing that verse again. Come on, everybody. Sing it now. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me, singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me, singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. Come on, sing with me. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. 
I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. You may be seated. Now, there are several of you here today who had been, uh, had been sick and had been ill, and you're here today, so you ought to be able to sing that song enthusiastically. Jesus lifted you. I relate to my own self. I've had a problem, a serious problem, and uh, I stand today here made whole by the amazing lifting power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, if you get a cold, if you get a cold or if you stump your toe or you get the flu or anything else and you come out of it, guess what? Amen. Jesus lifted you. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't an accident. And you can, you can say, well, it was my genetic system, but he gave you your genetic system. Amen. So always give him the glory and the honor and the majesty. Amen. Now we're going to sing an old ancient hymn, and it'll have to be on the board because the lyrics are different, but it's to the tune of Majestic Sweetness Sits Enthroned, which is on page 52. So we sing it. Well, with shall we approach the Lord and bow before His throne? By trusting in his faithful word and pleading Christ alone, and pleading Christ alone, the blood, the righteousness, and love of Jesus will repeat. He lives within the veil above for us to intercede. For us to intercede, sure ground and sure foundation too we find in His dear name. In Him we every blessing view and every favor claim, and every favor claim. Then let His name forever be. Us supremely dear, our only all-prevailing plea for all our hope is there, for all our hope is there. Amen. All right. If you want to stand together, we're going to study the Word of God here. Let's stand up for the reading of Scripture.
for me. So let's sing this song. Father, I stretch my hand to If you'll open your Bibles, please remain standing to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. So good to see all of you who are gathered here with us today, and of course a lot of people are not here because of this uh, season of coronavirus. But you are here, and I trust that the Lord is here. The Scripture says where two or three are gathered together, in my name, Jesus said, there am I among them. So in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, now beginning at verse 47, Luke's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 47. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and doeth them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat heavily or vehemently, upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that hears and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against whence the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great." May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Now this is actually our third study under the general theme, Two Houses in a Hurricane. In the first two studies, we considered the Matthew 7 version, Matthew 7 verses 24 through 27. But today we're going to look at the wise man of Luke chapter 6. Now life itself is a hurricane, isn't it? Life itself. There's one thing that comes after another in life. And we have problems right now. We have a problem of job loss. Many people who have uh, had jobs and who have owned businesses for decades have been suddenly put out 
of business. Uh, drug addiction and alcoholism is at an all-time high. Sicknesses of every kind, that's a storm. That's a hurricane. Some of you here today, as I mentioned earlier, you've gone through some sickness. Some of you perhaps were diagnosed uh, with the coronavirus as positive, but the Lord has brought you through that storm. There's the storm or the hurricane of loneliness. We have a lot of people today who are lonely, and even more so because of the quarantine, staying away from other folks with whom we love to talk, to fellowship, and so on. There's the storm of abuse. That's an all-time high in the United States. Children being abused, spouses being abused, all kinds of problems in that area. And then there is fear. People have more phobias today than at any time that I can remember in history. We're afraid of everything. I saw a report yesterday, a day before, uh, where they were checking out the uh, airports. And I, I said to myself, and sometimes I say out loud, <clears throat> well, I can tell you that uh, if you just breathe, you're breathing in bacteria. I mean, that's part of what this world is. And you're never going to be able to get your house or your business completely clean and free of all of that bacteria and even all of those viruses. It's just that this coronavirus has made us a lot more aware of it. But it's been there the whole time. Washing your hands, that's good hygiene. Staying away from folks that are sick, that's just common sense. If somebody has a cold, if they have the flu or something like that, and they don't have enough sense to stay inside, then I would just say, don't come close to me because you're sick. You're ill. That's what's going on today. Abortion is at an all-time high where young men and young women want all of the pleasures of marriage but without any of the responsibilities. Millions of babies have been aborted. I'm sick and tired, personally, of hearing about all the compassion of the politicians while they're aborting millions of babies. I'm tired of hearing about that. Don't tell me about being compassionate while you're murdering babies by the millions. Divorce, death, and of course we have the presence now of the coronavirus. As you go through these hurricanes, you can go through them as a wise man or wise woman, or as a foolish man or foolish woman, as a foolish person or as a wise person. And today, what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to look at the wise man, according to Luke, and I would like to not only show you what Jesus says uh, the wise man is, but I'd like to show you why, at least some of the reasons why, the Lord allows these hurricanes to come our way. I know all of us have had experiences in which we have said, seems like every time I move, something's coming my way. 
And you want to look up and say, what's going on? Why am I suffering all of this? I think I told you about my good friend Henry Mahan many years ago. We were in Sylacauga, Alabama, and we were doing a meeting there. I can't remember whether there were other teachers or not in this Bible conference. But Henry was uh, bringing a message, and in the part of his message where he was emphasizing the absolute sovereignty of God, that God is in control of all things. And I think he quoted one old evangelist who said, if you drive your automobile down the highway and the dust comes up, the Lord determines exactly where each speck will land. And he was really emphasizing God was in control. And in this little country church in Sylacauga, at about that time, a wasp or a bee flew up his pants leg. We would say in the south, up his britches. And when Henry reached down to grab his leg to try to kill the wasp, he looked up and he said, what was that for? What was that for? Well, you're talking about the Lord being in control. Lynn, my wife Lynn, was talking to a dear friend of mine. I've known her since I was a little, a little boy. She's going through a lot right now. She comes from a particular persuasion theologically of uh, probably maybe overemphasizing healing and all of that. I believe I've already said if you get well, it's the Lord that makes you well. But can you say that when you're sick? Can you say the Lord's in charge when you're lying on your sick bed? Can you say the Lord's in charge when everything is going backwards and things aren't going the way you want it to be? And maybe you're under some struggles. Maybe you're under some stress. Maybe you're having some problems. Can you then trust the Lord? You know, we need to think more about what Job said. Job, you know, in the Bible, he lost seven sons. He lost all of his wealth. He lost everything. He had stocks on the ancient stock market. They were $1,000 a share, and in 24 hours, they were worth nothing. And his wife even said, why don't you curse God and die? I'll get another man. (laughs) Why don't you curse God and die? You know what Job said? He said, though he slay me. Now, he didn't realize that behind all of this was the devil, but the Lord gave the devil permission to do what he was doing. Gave him permission. And Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even if he kills me, I'm going to trust him. Because if he kills me, it'll be for my good. It'll be for his glory. I'll go to be with him, which is better than being in this world. Now, the wise man in Luke's record, let me give you, first of all, right up front, the criteria of a wise man. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says the wise man is marked by these three things. Whosoever comes to me, verse 47 Whosoever, secondly, hears my sayings. 
And this doesn't just mean you happen to be in the audience to hear it. It means something else. And I've told you about this in earlier studies, but I'm going to rehash it for you in just a moment. Whoever comes to me, that's a wise man. Whoever hears my sayings, that's a wise man. And whoever does them, he says, I'll show you that that man is a wise man. So let me remind you again of our Savior's teaching regarding hearing. What is the evidence that I've heard him? The evidence that I've heard him is I have a desire to obey him. I have a desire to obey him. We have overstretched, I think, to a fault, the grace of God. Does the grace of God always uh, cover us when we're in disobedience? Yes, the grace of God does. But the Bible also says with that grace, there can come chastisement. There can come a whipping. He knows how to take you outside and give you a whipping so that you will get back in line because it's for your good. So let me remind you again of our Savior's teaching regarding hearing. It can be expressed by the, clearly by the old hymn, Trust and Obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Can we really think that a sinner can trust the Lord without having a heart to obey Him? Is there such a thing as a trusting, rebellious saint? Now, I will agree that we're not yet perfected, that we still do battle with the world and the flesh and the devil. Even the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 confessed this. This is what he said, When I would do good, evil is present with me. Even though the desire to do good is in me, I am not able to do it as I would. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. In my inner being, I delight in the law of God, but I see a different law at work in my body, a law that fights against the law which my mind approves of. Oh, wretched man that I am. He's talking about this battle. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he finally concludes that he serves the Lord with his mind, but he does constant and continual battle 24-7 with his old nature. The question comes, what was the apostle's desire? And I think we can all agree that he wanted to obey his master in all things in a perfect way, but he realized that perfection must wait until the glory of the resurrection. So yes, the Lord does still love us when we are disobedient, but there's a thin line between being disobedient and living in disobedience. If we are living in disobedience, then we are in trouble. The wise man is the sinner who comes to Christ. And does not coming to Christ imply that one has, with an interested and humble heart, heard Christ? And how can one come to Christ except 
on bended knee. One cannot come to Christ unless he or she bows to him and confesses him as Lord. If this is not so, then what does the Lord mean here in verse 46? Do you have verse 46 in your, in your Bible? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in verse 3, no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. How can I call him my Lord if I don't have a desire to obey him? And there have been many arguments regarding what has been called the Lordship controversy, but there's no controversy here. If a sinner comes to, to the realization that he or she is lost, that he or she is perishing, that he or she has no hope but in Jesus, do we honestly believe that he will come to the Lord making a deal? I'm going to trust you now to be my Savior, but later I'll think about making you my Lord. No. You can't divide Christ. He's Lord, He's Christ, He's Savior, He's Redeemer, He's soon coming King. He's prophet, He's priest, and He's King. If a sinner comes to the realization that he is lost, that he's perishing, that I have no hope but in Jesus, I must come, I will come, I have to come as a humble sinner bowing to him while calling on him for mercy. In my opinion, there's no other way to come. Now, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. You're in Luke. Let's go to chapter 19. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Our Lord told a parable, the purpose of which is to set forth this very truth. Uh, it's called the parable of the pounds by most theologians. Luke chapter 19. Let's take a brief, a brief look at it. We're told in verse 12 that a nobleman went to a far country to receive a kingdom. And then in verse 13 that he gave 10 servants uh, 20 pounds. 20 pounds. Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, and then verse 13. Let me, let me back up here in my Bible. I'm a little ahead of myself here. He called his 10 servants, verse 13. He delivered them 10 pounds, and he said to them, Occupy until I come. Now, here's the key verse to the whole, uh, the whole point, I believe, the whole lesson of this parable of the pounds. The key verse is verse 14. But his citizens hated him, and they sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign, to rule over us. That's the key. His citizens hated him, and they made it known that he wouldn't have him to reign over them. Now, now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, brothers and sisters, listen to me. The problem with this thing of salvation for sons and daughters of Adam is the will of man. That's the problem. 
Now we have theologians and they've argued about whether man has a free will, whether he can do what he wants to. Anybody knows you can do almost everything you want to. You can't do everything you want to. Suppose you wanted to jump up straight up 20 feet. If you did, you could get a job with a, a real quick, even if you're five feet tall, if you jump up 20 feet, you get a job with a pro basketball team. You might want to run the 100-yard dash in eight seconds, but you'll never do it. Human beings won't ever be able to do it. But when it comes to making a decision about what you eat or where you go or who you're going to be friends with or who you're not going to be friends with, and even in this issue of salvation, when it comes to that, we would be fools to say that men don't have wills. They certainly have wills. But the Bible does not divide these things up neatly for us. It just simply says, as we're reading here, these people said, we will not. We will not. We will not to have our will is that this man will not reign over us. Now, I bet you if Jesus had come to them and said, now look, what I'll do, I'll be glad to save you from hell. And you can go ahead and go your own way. I bet they'd have said, fine. We'll shake on that. But it says the issue was him ruling them. The issue is whose will is going to be done? Can we honestly say thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven? Not only for the general nations, but in ourselves and our own lives putting aside ourselves and our wills and say, Lord, what will you have me to do? That's what the Apostle Paul said at Saul of Tarsus when he was stopped on the road to Damascus. He was going to punish Christians and to put them in jail. And Jesus interrupted him, stopped his wild career, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. And he said, what will you have me to do? Lord, what will you have me to do? Lord, this is the key to this parable, verse 14. All right, now verse 15 through 26 tells us about when this nobleman returned to settle up with his ten servants. Verse 15, it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, though so he's a king, he commanded these servants to be called. He called his servants now, the ones who said they were his servants. They professed to be his servants. To whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. We know all, probably all of you know, know this parable. The first man came, verse 16, and he said, uh, Lord, your pound gained 10 pounds. Well done. You've been faithful in a little. I'll give you authority over 10 cities. The second man came, verse 18, and he said, your pound gained 5 pounds. Well, he said the same thing to him. You see, each of us, each person has different ability. Everybody can't do everything. There are things that some of you can do I can't do. You try to play the piano like Sue. She can play the piano. But, uh, you know, she'll probably tell you that inspiration 
there was a lot of perspiration. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't come naturally. You have to go after it. You have, and some of you can do things, uh, uh, construction work, or you can do things uh, mathematically, or you can do things that some of us can't do. But every man has his own talents, and the idea here is, what are we doing with what we have for the Lord? That's, that's the issue. That's the question. And then he says, one, one man came, in verse 20, and he said, Lord, here's your pound. I just kept it in a napkin. I didn't do anything with it, but I am going to give it back to you. I feared you. This is a message in itself. You're an austere man, verse 21. You take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. And Jesus says, this nobleman said, out of your own mouth I'll judge you. He called him a wicked servant. You know that I was an austere man. Now you don't read in here about this, this wicked servant. Uh, we don't read about him cursing. We don't read about him lying. We don't read about him stealing. We don't read about him coveting. We don't read about all these things that end commandments. But I tell you what we do read. We read that he didn't do a thing with what God gave him. And Jesus called him a wicked servant. A wicked servant, because he didn't do a thing but what had been given him. Out of your own mouth I'll judge you, you wicked servant. You knew I was an austere man. If you don't think God is an austere God, look at the Ten Commandments. Nobody can keep the Ten Commandments. We have to keep them in word, we have to keep them in deed, and we have to keep them in thought. If we even have bad thoughts, we violate them. I'll tell you how severe the Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments and the rest of the Holy Law of God is so severe that God wouldn't have anything to do with us apart from the death of His own Son. He sent His own Son to fulfill the demands of His Holy Law. You knew that I was an austere man, that I take up what I didn't lay down, that I reap what I didn't sow. I'll judge you. And he says, you, why didn't you give my money to the bank? Verse 23. That when I came, I might have required my own with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take from him the one pound that I gave him and give it to the one that has ten pounds. And they said, but Lord, he's already got ten pounds. He said, yeah, but he's going to have more. For everyone that does what he can with what he's got, I'll bless him with more. You know, if I can't trust you with $5, why should I trust you with 5000 If I can't trust you with 5000 why should I trust you with 100000 Why should the Lord bless us to have more when we don't do anything with what we've got? Oh, we just, you know, we put him down the stick, we, uh, down, the, down the list, we do what we want to do, and then if we've got something left over, not just money, but our talents, our abilities, our time, all of these things, then we work him in somewhere. Now watch this. I say unto you, verse 26, that unto everyone that has shall be given, in other words, he'll bless you with more, but from him that doesn't have anything, even what he has will be taken from him. And here it comes again, verse 27. But those, my enemies, those are my enemies. I consider them my enemies 
that did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them before me. He said, those who do not want me to reign over them are not my friends, they are my enemies. I refer you back to that 46th verse there in Luke chapter 7. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you say I'm your Lord and do not the things which I say? When our Lord Jesus Christ went away into heaven, he promised he would come back. And when he comes back, he's going to call men into account, those who did not want him to rule over them. He settled up with all of his servants, and those who didn't want him to reign over them were not counted as his erring servants. They were counted as his enemies. Jesus has no servants who do not willingly and lovingly bow to him and confess him to be their Savior, their Redeemer, and their Lord. He said in one place, you call me Master and Lord, John chapter 13, verse 13, and you say, well, for so I am. And may I say this, on that day when he shall return to this earth from glory, You'd be surprised at the percentages of people, according to statistics, who do not believe that Jesus will come again. And they do not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. You'd be surprised. And I'm not going to take up your time and give you those percentages, but let me just say this. Of the vast majority of professing Christians pay no attention to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, except when we have a crisis. And after 9-11, the churches didn't have enough room in them. People were flooding the churches because they were all of a sudden awakened to the fact that the United States uh, can be attacked. And see, we've got two oceans. We've got a Pacific and Atlantic Ocean. The only way you can attack this nation, you can fly over those waters or you can come down from Canada, or you can come up from South America. But other than that, we are situated in such a way it is very difficult for us to be attacked. But on that day when the Lord shall return to this earth from glory, who will not bow to him and confess him Lord of all? Has he not sworn in Isaiah chapter 35, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And has he not said in Philippians chapter 2 that God has exalted the man, it emphasizes his humanity, he has exalted the man Jesus, and he has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and things in heaven, things in the earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians chapter 2. Finally, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
Every person who confesses Jesus to be Lord has heard the Lord from the heart with the heart. Again, the criteria of a wise man, a wise woman, a wise person is whoever comes to me, whoever hears my sayings, whoever does my sayings. Why do we come to him? We come to him to be delivered from our sins. We come to him to be pardoned. We come to him to be delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and ultimately the presence of sin. We don't come to Jesus just to be delivered from hell, but certainly that's included, praise the Lord. But this would be to try to use him as a fire escape. We come to him because we have heard him. We've heard him. We've heard what he's saying. We believe what he's saying. And we have come to him on bended knee, confessing him as Lord and Savior. We have seen that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And our confession ought to be, however haltingly, not my will but thine be done. What would you have me to do, Lord? In the second place, the metaphorical picture of a wise man, if you go back to this Gospel of Luke, back to the Gospel of Luke, the metaphorical picture is that this wise man, he says, is at verse 48, he's like a man that built a house. He's like a man that digged deep. And he's like a man that laid the foundation on a rock. Those three characteristics are metaphorically a picture of a wise man. The wise man is one who's willing to work a man who's busy for his master. As the old hymn says, we'll work till Jesus comes and then we'll be gathered home. This is not our time of rest. This is our time to be busy for the Lord. Our rest will be when he comes again. We'll work and then we'll be gathered home. We come to him to be delivered from our own works and to work for him. To be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ is to be hired by him to work in his fields. We love him because he loved us and saved us. He gave himself to save us. We give ourselves to serve him. The Lord's people want to serve him. They are people made alive by the Spirit of Christ and they want to serve their Lord and their Master. Now, Jesus once told a story that illustrates, illustrates this very truth. We'll not go over and look at it, but it's found in Matthew chapter 25. You all are familiar with that. It's the parable of the talents. It's similar to the story of the pounds, but in the parable of the talents, they're working for the Lord, and they don't know when He's going to return. And the point that I would like to make in the parable of the talents is found, and you don't have to turn over there, found in Matthew verses 26 through 30 in that, in that Matthew chapter 25 passage. And the servant was uh, like the one in the, in the parable of the pound. He was, he was lazy, and he was called wicked and unprofitable, and he was cast into outer darkness. The wise man digged deep, 
That's the opposite of the shallow. Our works are shallow, but the work of Jesus Christ is a deep foundation. And then the wise man laid the foundation on a rock. Jesus is the only sure foundation which can enable us to endure all the hurricanes which come our way as we journey through this world to the next. Now, the lot of the wise man, by lot, I mean, I don't like to use the term fate, but the end of the wise man, when wise men and women are not delivered from the hurricanes of life. I want you to look back over here in Luke chapter 6, if you will. Jesus says in verse 48, And when the flood arose... You remember I told you in the first two studies that the, the rain coming down from heaven is a picture of trials sent by the Lord? I told you that the flood is a picture of bad teaching, bad doctrine, opposition by the devil? I told you that the wind is a picture also of men who are tossed about by every wind of doctrine and want to toss us about. Remember that? Well, here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, he says that in verse 48, he says, This wise man that built a house, that dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and it says, When the flood arose. He doesn't say, If the flood arose. He says, When. In other words, even every wise person is going to undergo these hurricanes. You're going to undergo hurricanes in your life. Some of you have already gone through some, and you're going to go through some more. The last hurricane that we'll go through will be death itself. And in that hour, what will our hope be? In that hour, what will our plea be? I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to conclude by just making a simple observation. I told you at the beginning of this message that I'm going to give you, give you some idea of why the Lord sends these trials or allows men to bring these trials or allows the devil to bring these trials. I personally believe, this is my personal belief. You don't have to agree, but I personally believe that nothing can come my way except either by his direct, explicit command or by his permission. That's what I believe. I don't think anything can happen to me. You say, anything, brother? Anything. Any sickness, any trial, anything can come my way except by his direct, explicit command or by his permission. That's what I see in the Scripture. And that's what I see when I look at Job and when I look at Paul and when I look at all these other people. We do all that we can, but we realize that the, the end result is in his hands. I quoted to you last week, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. You need to read that. That's in the book of Proverbs. The lot you know, they use lots, like you throw dice to decide what to do. Should we go this way? Should we go that way? And they, threw, they, they use these lots. You remember when Jonah was on that uh, 
uh, boat, and they were in that storm, and they said, who in the world? Somebody has done something awfully bad. This is, this is a bad storm. We, we can't get out of it. Is everybody here? Well, no, there's one guy. Where is it? He's down in the boat, bottom of the boat sleeping. Get him up here. And they got Jonah up there, and they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said, what have you done? Well, the Bible says the lot may be cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof, the way it falls, the way it eventually will come out, is of the Lord. And this, to me, is a soft pillow for me to put my head on at night. Because I say that I trust Him, regardless of what He allows to come my way. Sometimes we, we lie awake at night. We say, well, I don't know. Is this the Lord bringing this or is this the devil? Or is this men? Well, I'm telling you that the simple thing to believe, and this is where I stand, is it's coming one way or the other by the Lord's permission or His decree. It's not coming accidentally. If there are accidents in my life, then where is the Lord? If things can happen to me accidentally, and the Lord said, oh my goodness, I didn't mean for that to happen to Bill. I'm going to have to make that up to him. I, 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 the devil got away from me there. Oh, those men were smarter than I was, and they brought him into trouble. I didn't intend that. No, no, no. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. He does according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or question him. What are you doing? Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. The Lord's hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? He has purposed it, and who will disannul it? Read Isaiah 45, and you'll find some of those statements in Isaiah 46. My friends, the God of the Bible is not trying to be God. He is God. He is God. And that's my hope. I'm going to trust Him regardless of the situation. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, if we look at verse 25, he says, Do not refuse him that speaks. If they did not escape who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. In other words, God spoke to Israel through Moses. He spoke through, through the prophets. He spoke through the kings and like David and, and uh, the, the priest. But now he has come down from heaven. He's spoken from heaven in his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And you can find that in the very first two verses of Hebrews in chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. That's Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. So here he says, don't refuse, if, if, if people under the law and under Moses and under the prophets, if they did not escape by him speaking through men on earth, how, how much less do we think we will escape from him that speaks from heaven? Verse 26. Whose voice then shook the earth. 
Watch this now. But now he has promised. Here's a promise from God. I will once more shake not only the earth, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, that is, things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now let's think about that. When there's a whole lot of shaking going on, a whole lot of shaking going on, what house is going to stand? Now look, he says here that I'm going to shake things up so that the things that can't be shaken will become apparent. You see, you only learn what you are when a shaking comes. When everything is going fine, but when a shaking comes, when everything is shook up, then what are we? Then where are we? Then how are we? And this is what he says right here. He said, I'm going to send another shaking. He sends shakings now, but he says, I'm going to send a shaking. I'm going to shake heaven as well as the earth. And this word, says this writer by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this word once more signifies that he's going to remove the things that can be shaken. And he's going to establish those things that cannot be shaken. So then he says in verse 28, Wherefore we, we who profess to have come to Christ, we who profess to have digged deep, we who profess to be building on the foundation which is Christ Jesus the Lord, we have received a a kingdom which cannot be moved. And if we're in that kingdom, we can't be moved away from Christ. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. God sends a shaking to show what cannot be shaken. So I close by asking you, can your house be shaken? Right now there's a whole lot of shaking going on with the coronavirus. But there's coming such a shaking that nothing and no one will be able to stand but those who have built upon the rock, Christ Jesus. Let me leave you with a little illustration that I read that I thought would be good, uh, a good note to end this message on. A gentleman from London met a poor countryman. And it was on a Sunday, and the gentleman from London had come down to the country for a holiday. And their paths happened to meet, and when the gentleman from London met the countryman, he said to him, he knew him, and he said, well, Hodge, I suppose you've been taking a walk through the fields. No, sir, this was a couple of hundred years ago. No, sir, replied the man, I don't waste my time on the Lord's day in that way. I've been worshiping him and listening to his word. So you shut yourself up in a stuffy building 
for a couple of hours, and you listen to somebody talking all because you believe the Bible, said this gentleman from London, don't you know that it is a pack of nonsense? The learned men have proved it to be so, and everyone who believes it is a fool. Yes, said Hodge, very likely we are great fools, but after all, we country people do know one or two things. Aye, what is that? asked the gentleman. Well, we know that it is a good thing to have two strings in your bow. What do you mean, my good man? Well, I mean that I have got two strings in my bow. If this book, the Bible, should not prove to be true, it has given me a great deal of comfort, and it has made me a deal better man than I was before I learned to value it. So that, that is one good thing. But if it should prove to be true, that is the second string in my bow, and what a blessed thing it will be to me that I have received it and I have enjoyed it. But look here, sir, he said, you have not one string in your bow. If the Bible is not true, I am as well off as you are. And I think I'm happier on the whole than you are or ever will be. But if it should prove to be true, what will become of you, sir? What will become of you? You have not a string in your bow. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's stand together. Paul said, No other foundation can a man lay than that which is laid when she is Christ Jesus the Lord. I want to build my house on Christ, on what he has done, what he has said, by his power and by his blood. By his blood, I am cleansed of all of my sin. By his power, he gives me the ability to persevere in faith, though in myself I fail every day many times, and that sends me back crying to him, oh Lord, help me. Help me, strengthen me. I need your grace. I need your power, not only to save me, but to keep me. You know, Christ died for those without strength. Isn't that what the Scripture says? When we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. My dear friends, the upper thing in our lives ought to be hearing Him, worshiping Him, meeting with His people. We find it very easy to put off meeting with His people to do other things that we find and we think are more important. But what's important in the eyes of the Lord is the worship of His Son, is the praise of His Son, is the giving glory to His Son. And that's what I intend to do so long as God gives me breath, and I pray that that is what you also will do. Now let's sing, Under the Blood of Christ. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. 
under the blood of Jesus, safe while the ages Save though the world may crumble, safe though the stars put in under the blood of Jesus, I am secure in Him. Next week, God willing, I hope all of you will come back because we're going to have a baptism, God willing. We're going to have someone who's going to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord and Redeemer. If any of you would wish to be baptized, if you've never been scripturally, biblically baptized, and you want to express your faith in that way, all you have to do is call me, let me know. I'll explain to you what we think is involved in this thing of baptism. And uh, we're glad to baptize you. You see the passage up on the board? Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the world. So he says, first of all, he said, you teach people, and those who believe, you baptize them. And then if they really believe, they're going to stick around and you teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So I hope you'll come back next week. Pray for our nation. Pray for all of these things going on in this nation uh, that this storm may result in something that causes men and women to look to him, whatever it is. It'll all be worth it if they look to him. And let us pray. Now through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may the Lord make you perfect in every good work, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.